Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Jesus' suffering begins the Sanhedrin. Jesus versus the Sanhedrin. Jesus' suffering begins Mark 14, 53 to 65. And we're going to talk about the suffering of Jesus today. He's starting on the road to the cross. Now we've been talking about that. And now we're finally at that point where he's, we've been to his life and his ministry. And now he's on the road to the cross. And it's especially meaningful today for us in light of the intense persecution of Christians that they're facing and Jewish people are facing all over the world. You heard about the Voice in the Martyr Conference today. There's a great publication you can get on a regular basis. They have email updates and everything. But it's just uh, real, real intense. We saw what happened in France this week. Horrific, horrific attack. Just heartbreaking, shocking, unbelievable. But as, as horrible as it is, remember something. Christians are being attacked like this every day. And Jewish people are. There's attacks every day in Israel. And there's attacks on Christians all over the world every day just like that. That many Christians are killed every day. More than that. But it's not reported. Our media doesn't report it. Our government doesn't do anything about it. Remember that. Because what you see, whenever you see these attacks, remember to pray for these people in France by all means. We're heartbroken for them. But remember to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters and our Jewish friends who are undergoing this kind of intense persecution every day and nobody cares. Let's, be, let's really remember that, okay? And we're going to take a look at what happens to Jesus some, today. We're going to see what happens to him in this passage. And there's some very vital lessons for us as we're moving closer and closer to this time of persecution. We're seeing it already, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what Jesus did for us. The, suffer, the way he suffered for us. And Lord, we know that we need to suffer for him. And it may even be in our lifetime that some of us have to suffer for him. We pray that your spirit would speak to us on why Jesus suffered for us. And also how we should respond to persecution as Christians. We pray, that, we pray for your mercy and grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick it up in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another, one, another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before him and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. 
Now remember something as we go into this passage. Mark, the gospel writer Mark, is writing to the Roman Gentiles. He's writing to Gentiles in Rome. And he writes just the facts. Mark is just the facts. Uh, the trial, the execution, the resurrection. But if you want to see the full picture of everything that happened, you take the four Gospels, because each one, the Holy Spirit led each of them to write different details for a different audience, and you put them all together, and you, you see a very, very full picture. We see that this trial before the Sanhedrin is a sham. It's a complete sham. It's not about justice. I think we can all relate to that, can't we, in the United States today, right? Uh, the FBI and so-called justice and political cover-ups. We can all see how this could happen, can't we? And this is what is happening. It's a complete sham. There's no, it's, it's horrible. There's no justice there. But I want to look at some parallel passages to get a full picture. Because this dealing with the Sanhedrin actually had several phases. And phase number one comes out in John 18. I want to look at John 18 here, verses 12 to 14 and 19 to 21, where we're going to see phase one, which Mark doesn't talk about. Let's look at verse, uh, let's go to John, and we'll go to start with verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Verse 19, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught you in the, in the synagogues and, or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So we see in verse 12, starting with verse 12, then the detachment of soldiers uh, with its commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him. Okay, we see that he's, he's arrested, amazing hardness of heart. We talked about that last week. Well, they arrest him. He just had knocked the whole crowd mob down that came to arrest him with the word, I am. They all fell flat on, on their faces. They fell flat. And then he, the one, one guy gets his ear cut off by Peter and he heals him. They see his, his power. They see his healing grace. They see this happen. And yet it has no effect. They still arrest him. And then they bound him. They bound him. There's, the Holy Spirit doesn't put any words in his word. There's a reason why Jesus had to be bound. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling a type. A type is an Old Testament picture with a New Testament reality. Almost anything you see in the New Testament, you can go into the Old Testament and see a, a picture, a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And it's also fulfilling a prophecy here. And this comes from Genesis. The reason he's bound comes from Genesis 22, 9 to 13. And let's read this passage. This is when Abraham was tested. God told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. I'll pick it up with Genesis 22, verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Hear that? He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So we see that God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. He's testing him, but it's also a picture, a type, a prophetic type of Jesus. First he bound Isaac. Notice that he bound him. That's why Jesus had to be bound. He was fulfilling the prophetic picture. They always bound the animal before they sacrificed it. Guess why? They don't like to be sacrificed, you know. And you take the, 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 they would take the animal and put it on its side. And I don't know if you've ever done that, even with your cat or dog. They, you know, they're real friendly, fine. But, but if you take it with even a cat, they, they don't like to be flopped on their side and, and hold the legs. Picture it. I know on the farm, when we had to do anything to the animals with, with medicine or, or dehorning them or whatever, it was tough. They'd take the cow and you'd have to get it on its side. We'd have ropes and we'd twist their head back and take ropes and we I remember sitting on top of these calves and they're kicking 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 you know they don't like to be put on their side and that's why the animal had to be bound because they 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 panic okay first they had to be bound so then Isaac is bound but God stops the knife he stops the knife and instead he provided a lamb a ram is a lamb, right? He provided a lamb as a substitute. But this time when Jesus is fulfilling the type, God does not stop the knife. Not this time. There is no substitute. You know why? Why isn't there a substitute this time? Because Jesus is the substitute. He is the lamb. Our substitute. John 1.29. John the Baptist says, Behold, the lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus. He's our substitute. We were all bound. You might be bound today. Every one of us is bound by sin. We are in bondage to sin, in bondage to Satan's power, in bondage to the world, in bondage to to sin in our life. We're in bondage. But Jesus took our place. He's the Lamb. We We were set free. Jesus took our place. He set us free, just like Isaac was set free by that lamb. Jesus set us free. Jesus, the only son of God, was put on that altar, on the cross. God did not stop the knife. He allowed his only son, his one and only son, to be killed in our place to fulfill the type and to set us free. And he did it because he loves us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever believed in him, given your life to him, given you, put your complete trust in him to be set free, to be forgiven for sin and to be set free? Then he goes on, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Then in John 18, back to John 18, verse 13, he says, And brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. John is the only gospel writer to mention Annas. The rest focus on Caiaphas. All the other gospel 
records focus on Caiaphas. We're going to connect Wyatt in a minute. Annas was a high priest until 14 AD. He was a high priest. And they're supposed to be high priests for life. But he ticked off the Roman, Roman rulers there. He ticked them off. And so they removed him. But even though he's removed by the Romans, he's still the high priest in everybody's eyes. Right? He's still the guy. He kept the high priesthood in his family. Five of his sons served. One son-in-law, Caiaphas. One grandson. He's like the mafia don. Right? You know, even though, hey, okay. You know, he's, he's the guy. You know, who, you know they, he, everybody has to come to him first. Even though he's not officially the high priest, he is. So although Caiaphas is the official high priest, Annas is the functioning high priest, which is why they brought him to him first. What do you want us to do with this guy? And Jesus is brought to Annas. Uh, notice that it says he was brought. He was brought. There's a, once again, very important, watch the wording here because it's all a picture. He wasn't drug. He came willingly. He wasn't carried. He wasn't, you know, beaten up and carried. He was he, he came willingly. On the farm, when we wanted to take the cows to be slaughtered, uh, we, when they had to get on the truck, I remember when Kim first saw it, she was so upset. You know, you want to put the cow on the truck, you have to drive it. You have to put ropes on it and pull and, you know, and, uh, you know dra- drag and drive them, basically. It's hard and it's scary and they fight and they kick and my dad still has scars all over him and broken bones that have healed now dealing with cows but the lamb I had a lamb didn't have to do that if I wanted to take it somewhere I didn't take it to be butchered but if I want to take it anywhere I let it put a little rope on it let it or I didn't most of the time you didn't have to do that it would just follow me anywhere even follow me into the house my mom loved that ate her spider plants but anyway it would follow me everywhere they follow and that's Jesus he, he was led, and it fulfilled Isaiah 53, 7. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, when we're going to come back to this in a few minutes, uh, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Led like a lamb. And we see him brought before the high priest here. Also in Leviticus 17.5, we know that each lamb that was going to be sacrificed had to be brought before the priest. Had to be brought before the priest. Before they could be sacrificed, the priest had to check them out and had to okay them before they could be killed. And we see that is exactly what is happening. Jesus is being, the, the, the Lamb of God is being presented to the high priest. He's fulfilling the law. It's all prophetic. There's no accidents here. And not only that, even Jesus getting there, amazingly, if, you, if you've ever been in Jerusalem before, and I know some people have been to Jerusalem, if you're up in the Garden of Gethsemane and you want to walk to the temple area, you have to go through the wall. And there's a lot of gates. There's the gates all throughout Jerusalem, but the, the gate that goes from the Garden of Gethsemane to the temple is called the, the what gate? The sheep gate. It's the sheep gate. It's the gate that you, they would bring the sheep through to be sacrificed at the temple. And that's exactly the gate that Jesus walked through. He was the Lamb of God through that sheep gate. Back to John 18... In John 18, 19 to 24, so many amazing things in Scripture and fulfillment. And 
If you want proof that Jesus was the Son of God and he died for us, and I mean, it's there. Prophetically, it's there. It's impossible to miss. Verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Still bound to Caiaphas. So we see the Jewish godfather tries to intimidate Jesus. It's not working. He roughs him up. He doesn't get anywhere, so he sends him off to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, which is high priest number two, junior, high priest junior, right? He sends him off to finish him off. Annas has to watch his step. They're not allowed to kill people or even beat them up. (laughs) The Romans didn't like that. They wanted to do all the beating up and killing, right? That was their job. So he had to watch his step. He knows that one wrong step and the Romans are going to do more than just you know, depose him. They're going to, you know, do away with him. So he sends him to Caiaphas. He let him do all the dirty work. And that's when we come to phase two, phase two, which I already read in Mark, but I want to use starting, I want to go to Matthew 26, 57 to 68. Very similar to Mark, but there's a few key details that I want to use before we go back to Mark, okay? Let's go to Matthew 26, and this is phase two. We already saw he was before Annas, and now he goes before Caiaphas. In Matthew 26, 57, we'll start with. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Remember that. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I tell you, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they replied. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy, Christ, who hit you? Very similar, but some very key details. One is Caiaphas. Now we see he's the legal high priest. He's the high priest of Israel. But as you can see from this passage and from history, we know he was not a spiritual leader. He was a political leader. Some of you might can think of some religious leaders like that today, but we won't go there. Uh, and this is why Annas picked him. He had been trying to murder Jesus. In fact, he was behind the plot way back in John 11. Now we talked about Lazarus rising from the dead and the plot to kill Jesus. In John 11, 49 to 50, when Annas, Caiaphas was the one who said, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. 
prophetic, wasn't it? It was a prophecy. He, didn't even, he was a prophet unaware. Jesus was dying for the whole nation. He was dying for the entire world. But he was trying to kill Jesus. It was, he was all about expedience, right? He sought bought false witnesses. Matthew 26, verses 59 to 61. Look what he says here. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. It's crazy, isn't it? These guys, the Sanhedrin is so careful. These are the religious leaders. You know why they didn't know, they didn't recognize the Messiah? Because look where they were spiritually. They were so careful to follow the letter of the law. We got to get two witnesses. That's what the law teaches. You got to have two witnesses. Can't kill somebody with one. You got to get two. It's okay if they lie, though. I mean, think about that. It's okay if they lie. Just got to be two, right? Can you imagine people lying like that? Religious, political leaders like, well, we're not going to go there. Anyway, uh, but anyway, the, they, it, it, it's crazy. They, it's, they need their two witnesses, but it's okay to lie and it's okay to murder the guy. But we got to get our two witnesses. It, it's crazy. And they, they said he's going to destroy the temple. Finally, they get two degree. He's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Did Jesus say he's going to destroy it and rebuild it in three days? No. He said, I will raise it in three days. I will raise it in three days. What is he talking about? His body is the temple, God's temple. I will raise it in three days. He's talking about his resurrection. Right? So they're lying, but they can't even get the lie right, right? And... We see in Matthew 26, 62 to 63, now look at this part. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Well, yeah, the last time he spoke up, they punched him in the face. But he stays silent. He remains silent. And there's a reason why he remains silent. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling scripture. Isaiah 53, 7, once again. Let's revisit it again. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shares is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Before the high priest, of, the true high priest of Israel, he did not answer. He's fulfilling scripture that was given 700 years before Jesus came. Read Isaiah 53 sometime. Intricate detail about what Jesus was going to do. The cross, everything. Just amazing. Even the resurrection, all amazingly. 700 years before this prophecy, he fulfills it to a T. And so the high priest gets frustrated here, we see here. And he, so he puts them under an oath. The high priest basically says, swear, you know how we swear on the Bible? He puts them under an oath. Okay, in verse 63, he puts him under the oath where he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He puts him under oath. And notice it's interesting. The high priest here knew that the Messiah would be God's son. He knew. He knew he would be the divine son of God. He knew. How did he know? Because it's all over the Old Testament. They knew the scripture. 
Just one, pa- one passage, Isaiah 9, 6, one of our Christmas ones, but it's, it's prophecy. <clears throat> For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is somebody born, and he, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, called God. That word there for God can only mean God, divinity. They knew somebody's going to be born who's going to be called God. They knew the Messiah was going to be the Son of God. They knew it. They knew it. They just rejected Jesus. Because why? They were in a bad place. These are a bunch of hitmen. They're a bunch of murderers, a bunch of liars. Religious people who didn't know God at all. That's why. And Jesus is obedient to the law. He's obedient to the high priest. And he finally breaks his silence. Because he's obedient to the law. He fulfills the law, right? And in order to see what he said, I want to bounce back now to Mark 14, verse 62. Because it gives the full force of what Jesus says here. Let's go back to Mark 14, verse 62. The full force comes out here when Jesus answered, I am said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I am. Where have we heard that before? Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am. What's your name, God? I am. And Jesus is clearly claiming his divinity. I am. I remember one of my youth groupers, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I remember one of my youth, pa- youth groupers came to me and said, oh, I'm really shook up, my faith is really shaking because my teacher in school told us that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, that other people said about him, but he never claimed to be that. So, it's ironic, isn't it, that in schools you can't teach about Jesus in schools, but you can talk against him. I always found that interesting. Can't say anything for Jesus or about positive, but you can rip them to shreds all you want. That's okay. Right? Can't teach the Bible, but you can rip it to shreds. So I said, uh, your teacher's wrong. And I gave her verses like this one. I gave her John 10, 36. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I, am, because I have said I am God's son. Many, many verses where he claimed to be the son of God. And she went back and educated her teacher. Make sure you're educated. If you're going to college, make sure you're really educated. And if you need some help, see Chuck Harrison. He will help get you ready for college. The battles you're going to be facing, make sure you're ready because you're going to hear a lot of lies. People who have never read the Bible are going to tell you all about the Bible, what it really says. And and I always tell everybody, ask them if they've ever read it. Never had one read it yet. Never. So be ready. But he says, I am And then Jesus says something that really ticks them off in verse 62. He says, then you will see the Son of Man. And just think neon lights blasting, a horn blowing. Because this is is a key statement. The Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, a right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man was a a messianic term that no way they were going to miss. They knew what he was claiming to be the Son of Man. This This is big. This is big. This is like you know, you know, fireworks going off. He's he's making a very very serious claim here. It comes from Daniel seven thirteen to fourteen. In Daniel seven, it says, verse thirteen and fourteen. 
In Daniel has a vision. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Prophecy from Daniel about Jesus. And this is going to be fulfilled in Revelation. And, And Jesus says, this is me. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Messiah. And notice something that he's led into God's presence, God the Father's presence, and worship. That word, word used there for worship is used 100% of the time, can only mean worshiping God. It's never for anything else. Only that word has to be worshiping God 100% of the time. This is the divine Son of God. And this uh, flips, freaks them out. It, back to Mark 14, verse 60. Three, we see it freaks them out and they say, The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? This is what's known as a leading question. Right. You know, uh, you know that, that's a leading question. But he, then he tears his robe. The high priest tore his robe. This is a prophetic act. It's a prophetic act that God's high priest has rent asunder the ironic priesthood. Unaware, once again, a prophet, prophet unaware, just like before when he made the prophecy about Christ dying for us, he, he rent asunder, he tore the ironic priesthood. God had rejected them because they had rejected God's son. So he rejected them. They reject God's son, so he had rejected them. That tearing is God rejecting them. But there's a reason why, not only because they rejected Jesus, but now there's no need for the priesthood, for the high priest or the priesthood. There's no need. Do you know why? Who's our high priest? Who's the ultimate, final high priest? It passed, when he tore his robe, it passed from him to Jesus. Jesus is the high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's no human high priest anymore. It's the God-man, Jesus Christ, who takes us into God's presence. Because he died. He was the lamb who took, sprinkled his blood. Took our sin away. So we can now go into his presence. Only the high priest was allowed into the, the holy of holies before. But now we all can come into God's presence. Through Jesus. 
we can find mercy and grace no matter how messed up we are. No matter how bad we've messed up. Anybody here messed up lately? <laughs> maybe yesterday, maybe this morning, maybe on the way here. It's okay. God doesn't want us to mess up, but he's waiting for us to come into his presence and ask for mercy, which is forgiveness, and ask for grace. That's help to not keep on messing up. He's constantly waiting for us to come to him through his son Jesus and get the mercy and grace. Don't clean yourself up first. Go to him. Let him help us. Go to, go to Jesus into God's presence in Jesus' name. We have a high priest. And not only that, we are priests. We are priests. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter, who's watching all this go on. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. If you have put your faith in Jesus and given your life to him, you're a royal priesthood. And this is very, very important to understand. It's the priesthood of all believers. Anybody who's put their faith in Christ, the priesthood of all believers. We don't need priests anymore. You don't need them. You know why? We don't need a priest because we are priests. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you are a priest. Priests would go into God's presence on behalf of somebody. But we don't need that anymore because Jesus has made the way. In the, in the New Testament, there's no priest. Did you notice that? There's pastors. There's evangelists. There's teachers. There's other offices. But there's no more priest because we are all priests. We can all approach God directly through Jesus Christ, our high priest. There's no need. You don't have to go to confession and confess to somebody. You go right to God the Father. There are times when it does help to confess your sins one to another, but you don't have to do it. You can go right to God. You don't need anybody between you and God. You go directly to God. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why Jesus died for us. So we, we see that the, the, he tears the... Very important to remember this, but he, we see that he tears the robes and then they began to beat Jesus and abuse him. But he didn't respond. He doesn't say one more word to these guys. While they're beating him, while they're abusing him, he doesn't answer the high priest anymore. He, that's it. And there are some very important lessons for us as we move into times of increasing persecution. A lot of you are facing attacks, spiritual attacks for your faith. We hear the stories all the time. Jesus has set an example for us on how to respond and not to respond to attacks, to persecution, to criticism. He's given us a very important lesson on how to, resp how to respond or not to respond for these attacks on our faith. Peter picked up on it. Peter never forgot what he saw from a distance. He's off in the distance, but he's watching this whole thing, and he never forgot it. In fact, he wrote in 1 Peter 2.23 a very, very important verse. He said, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did, and that is our picture. That is our teaching. This is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. Jesus gave one simple, spirit-filled, truthful answer, and then he shut up. I am the Son of Man. And then he didn't say another word. Lessons for us, isn't it? When someone asks us about our faith or we are sharing about our faith and we're trying to tell them about Christ and they start getting all worked up, you've already said enough. You tell the truth. You say it in a loving way. The, uh, Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul says, speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. And then we, let it, we leave it. If you're in class and things are getting hot, you've already spoken the truth about something spiritually about some moral issue. You don't have to keep arguing or get worked up or fight. Speak the truth in love and leave it there. It worked. You've already spoken the truth and now people, you get daggers all the time and people are angry and upset with you. It's it's the same thing. We speak the truth in love and we leave it in God's hands. We leave it in God's hands. We don't try to fight or argue. You're not going to argue anybody into into heaven, into the truth. You let the Holy Spirit do the work. we, We speak the truth and we leave it in God's hands. I know when we started the church 16 years ago, some of you were here, a couple of you were not many were here at the very beginning, a couple of you. And you remember, we spoke the truth in love about some very important biblical issues and then we got attacked. So you remember the two policemen sitting back at the door there, (laughs) protecting the church, making sure there were no riots. Remember that? They were here for three months. I could always count on those two guys. A lot of you guys miss church. They never missed. Three months. We were paying them. But anyway, (laughs) they insisted on it, though, said we're going to have someone here. But... You know what? We got attacked. It was in the I wake up in the morning and we were in the paper and you would be on TV. And, hey, you were on TV. And I went, what? And they, he lied. They told lie after lie and slander and passed petitions around and tried to drive us out of New Hope because we believe God's word. And I'll, I'll never forget, finally, it started to t- turn. Even some of our enemies started to soften and started to say, wow, there's something different about these guys. And I remember somebody saying to me, some official, I can't remember who it was, but I'd never forget, someone said to me, how do you control, your people, they're not, they never respond. You guys get blasted, blasted, lied about, slandered about, and no one from your church responds. Nobody retaliates. How do you control your people like that? They said that to me. I said, well, I'm pretty tough, you know. I know. I, I said, I don't. God's controlling them. The Holy Spirit is doing it. They didn't quite understand that, but they knew something was different. That's the key. We spoke the truth in love and we let it alone and now we've seen lives transformed. Even many of our enemies' lives have transformed. I could tell you wild stories. Jesus spoke the truth and he left the rest in God's hands. And then 
They let him have it. And he took it. They let him have it and he took it. 1 Peter 2.23. 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He didn't respond. He took it. He could have knocked them all down. He could have fried them on the spot. Read the book of Revelation. He could have fried them. But he left himself in God's hands. He trusted God with it. And that's what we're called to do. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had a a young man who became a Christian. And then he became a youth leader. And then he became my intern. And then he became my youth pastor. And uh, his name was Jason. And and when he first became a Christian, he he was known as a fighter. He wasn't big. He was about my size. But he was a black belt. And he was quite a fighter. He could fight. And uh, he would uh, pick fights with the bullies, the big, big, giant guys in school, and then he'd beat them to a pulp. And uh, I remember saying, you can't do that anymore. You, you can't beat these guys up. He goes, oh, yes, I can. I go, no, no, I know, but you can't. And I showed him the Bible verses on it, and he started to get it, and he started to work through it, and and uh, I said, so don't. You can, but, but don't. And he started really working on this. And, and I saw God do a real work of grace in his life. He stopped beating people up. In fact, I remember when he went to college, he was in class and the teacher brought up abortion. It was a hot topic at his college. He was a freshman, brought up abortion, and everybody was for abortion except for him. He was the only one in the whole class who said, no, it's wrong. And the teacher says, why do you say that? And, they were doing egg and, I, and the whole class just turned on him. It was like piranhas, right? And he said, because it's a baby. And if you, if you kill, do abortion, you're killing a baby. Well, he noticed as he, after he said this, a girl near him started to cry. And he, he figured. And he was trying to be real gentle about it. You know, he goes, I know girls don't realize that, but they've been lied to. And they, they can, God can forgive them. And, you know... They can get their healing. You know, he's trying to be real gentle. He spoke the truth in love, but this girl was crying, and everybody got just really, really mad at him. Just turned on him. The teachers egged them all on. The teacher education, you know. Uh, so he got, walks out of class, and as he's walking down the hall, this big guy confronts him. And right behind him is this crying girl. And he said, take it back. He goes, take what back? He goes, take it back. Tell, say you were wrong about it being a baby. He goes, well, I, I, I can't. It is a baby. Everybody knows it's a baby. It's not a baby, and you take it back right now. And the girl's just, right now she's crying, crying, crying. He knew what happened. It's her boyfriend, and he took her for the abortion, and now he's trying to, you know, make her feel better about it. And he says, I, I can't. He goes, you take it right back now, or you're dead meat. He goes, I, I can't. It is a baby, but God can forgive her. Bam! He punches her right in the face. Breaks his glasses. Big crowd. All the whole class is now there gathered around and they're all cheering it on. Beat him up, kill him, beat him up, kill him. He says, take it back. He goes, I can't. Bam, hits him again right in the face. Knocks him, really hits him. And he says, are you done now? That's a work of grace. He goes, are you done now? Are you finished? He goes, no, I'm not done. And he hauls off and he swings. And my friend Jason didn't punch him or anything. He just deflected. He just knew how to deflect. And the guy hit the wall. 
broke his hand, crumpled his hand. It was just mangled. Ah! He started screaming. Ah! ah." He just broke his arm, broke his hand. It really messed him up. Yeah. And he was just freaking out. And everybody's like, why'd you do that to him? That was really mean. Here's the crowd, right? And Jason picked up his glasses, what was left of them, and his books. And he walked away. The next day, he's coming to class. And two more guys wait for him at the door. They said, you're dead meat. You broke our, my, our friend's hand. He goes, I didn't break his hand. He hit the wall. He goes, no, you broke his hand. We saw what you did. And they said, we're going to finish you off. Well, you can only take so much. He took them both down real quick. He didn't hurt them. Did some kind of twisty thing. He told me what he did. Put them both down on the ground. Together. Stood over them. Twisting in their hands and said, it's over. Yes, yes, it's over, it's over, it's over. They said, and they ran away, and he went into class, and I said, Jay, Jason, you, you done good. You done good. Because the old Jason would have beat him to a pulp, and he would have lost. He would have lost them. But by taking it, it he, 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 he did in First Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. Jesus did this for us. He suffered for us. He died for us because of his love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, gave to die on a cross, to be tortured, to be killed, gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus took our place on that cross. He paid for our sin. He paid for everything wrong we've ever done so that we could have life now. The moment we put our faith in, we could have life now and forever with God someday. If we will put our faith in him, if we will believe in him, the word believe isn't just mental, it means to give your heart to, it means complete trust and complete dependence on. If we will put our faith in him, this is a gift that God offers us. Will we receive it or will we reject it? Every one of us has to make that decision. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. What will we do? Let's pray. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever given your life to him? God loved us and gave his son in our place. And all he asks is that we ask for forgiveness. And put our faith in his son Jesus. And give our life to him. And then he gives us a brand new life now and forever. Do you have that life now and forever? You can have it right now. It's there for the asking. It's there for the receiving. Right where you're sitting, you can pray from your heart to God. God, please Forgive me.
for everything in my life that goes against your word, everything in your life that goes against your will, every sin in my life, I repent. I don't want it anymore. I repent of it. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm believing on him. I'm trusting in your son, your one and only son, Jesus. I'm trusting in him. I give my life to you, God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you now have life. Real life now and real life forever in heaven someday. You have that life. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You can now talk to God as your father anytime about anything. Your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know, whether it's me or someone you came with, a family friend, anybody, let somebody know so that we can encourage you. Fill out the card, email, text, whatever, whatever. Let, so we can encourage you and be excited for you in your new life in Jesus Christ. It's going to be an adventure. Your life will never be the same. Maybe you're here today and you've already put your faith in Christ. But how is God speaking to us? Maybe we're facing attacks. Spiritual attacks at school, at work, on our team, in our neighborhood, from our own family because of our new faith, from our own family. Will we speak the truth in love and then take it for Jesus? Whatever is dished out, we'll take it for Jesus because of what he took for us. Will we speak the truth and do it in love? Father, we thank you for what your son Jesus did for us. I pray that you would give us the courage to speak up the truth, but give us the love to do it in a way that hearts would be touched. Even those who get very angry at first, that they, they won't be able to deny the love of Jesus and us. And that they will find life and find forgiveness and find healing no matter what they're struggling with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.